What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest, with me out in Las Vegas, and we're doing rapid fire episode tonight as Matt Morris because the drive to F1 Vegas is underway. How's it going, buddy? We are uh, we're a couple days away from you actually having your life back. Yes, thank God. Yeah, day one is day one was a success. We had a a, a day shift today. Kind of nice. Uh, we did Netflix Cup, which I thought we were showing up to work today, take care of what I thought was like the ne- Netflix producers and cast. And um, no, it wasn't. It was for a golf match between four golfers and four drivers, which was actually like when they told me that it was really, really cool. cool. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was Netflix's first live sporting event that they had ever live streamed. Um, also very cool. And then I had a conversation with people about like, interesting that they chose this over like the Super Bowl or, you know, the world, a World Series game or an NBA Finals game or a World Baseball Classic. And that kind of led us into the, well, what is popular these days, especially on some of these streaming sites is drama, right? You think Kardashians, you think (laughs) about even the F1 series on Netflix. And it's like, well, what they're really doing is they're tapping into their already customer base and their demographic, which is F1 fans. Like, why not make your biggest sporting uh, series on your platform your first live streamed event being this golf match, right? Because they're not streaming the F1 race, which would be sick. That would have been the move right there. Um, Who knows how much money that would have cost. But yeah, very cool. We're uh, day one of five down. Uh, tomorrow, I think we're going to be pretty chill, and I think Thursday, everything's going to start wrapping up because the qualifying free races start. Yeah, but anyways, Matt, we got to get you to sleep. We got to get you ready to go dialed in to provide mm. that phenomenal service in your 9 to 5 to all those F1ers out there. So we're going to get right into the storylines uh, of this past week. None bigger than actually what's been going on here to start this next week in the NFL is the Diggs brothers are openly taking shots at Josh Allen. Um, This isn't the first time we've seen a receiver or people's family members either defend or take shots at the quarterback for the the, the quarterback of the team that their loved one is playing on. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, I think it was just last year, two years ago, Odo Beckham's dad literally shitting on Baker Mayfield, right? Um, During the Bills game and then afterwards, Trayvon Diggs, Stefan Diggs' brother, basically tweeting out that Josh Allen wasn't any good before Stefan Diggs got there. Stefan Diggs now needs to get out of there, which would actually be cool if they ended up playing in Dallas. And then before we got online tonight, uh, got a text from my buddy, confirmed it was on Stefan Diggs' Instagram. So hopefully I'm not being duped here, but looks like he basically just called out Josh Allen and said, Hey, I asked him to throw me the ball a little bit more, but he told me I should put on a Broncos jersey, insinuating that Allen was only throwing it to the other team because he just has all these turnovers this year. Um, the sky is officially falling in Buffalo. We've been harping on them about their run game. Josh Allen isn't playing good. I still don't put it all on him, but what do you make of all this mess going on right now in Buffalo? Well, and it's interesting because when we look back over the course of our fandom as NFL fans, and you think about some of the most diva classified wide receivers, they usually were in the top three in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss, 
Terrell Owens, you know, Chad Johnson, all three of those, at least at some point in time, were the, a top three wide receiver, if not the best wide receiver in a season that they were playing. And you kind of put up with it because you realize, yeah, you're right. Like you get Chad Johnson, Randy Moss, or Terrell Owens the ball. You target them 50 times, 15 times a game. Things are going to happen. I'm sorry, Stefan. You're not that good. You are not a Hall of Famer. Like flat out, you're a really good football player. You are not an elite level football player. You are were very good for the Vikings. You've been very good for the Bills. But like, in my opinion, you don't win a game. Those other three can go out and win a game. More or less Owens and Moss more than Chad. I think Chad's probably more like Diggs, but a better version of Diggs. And I say that because you can only put up with a diva for so long. It's like it's cost reward, right? Like Owens continued to get opportunities because every chance that you got to, to bring a Terrell Owens into your organization, it could take you to a Super Bowl. And that's not the case for Diggs. He hasn't been to a Super Bowl. He hasn't won the big playoff game. He's only lost all of these games all the way back to that Saints interception um, or excuse me, that Saints catch. Um, it's just disappointing because I think Diggs didn't learn his lesson early enough. And I think the Bills didn't learn their lesson early enough. This is now three years dating back him having issues with Josh Allen in the organization. And the last thing I'll say is I think it's um, a problem with his early development in the NFL. And that's dated back to Kirk Cousins. He had a high volume share before he left Minnesota. He was used to a high volume share. He was also used to a very accurate passing quarterback. And in a lot of facets, Kirk Cousins is a better accuracy-based pocket thrower than Josh Allen is. And I think because of that, he had built in an expectation in his mind that this is how the NFL operates. No, that's how your offense in Minnesota operated. In Buffalo, it operates differently. And you either buy in or you don't. And he hasn't bought in. And he's not going to buy in. And now it's over. And where's he going to go? Because I bet you the next stop with Dak Prescott will be just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I think he's worthy enough to be a diva. I do agree with you that like, he's not top three. He's right there. Like I, you, you can make an argument for him being top five. You know, he's in the upper echelon of wide receivers in the NFL. No doubt about it. Totally. Um, but that, that was my takeaway from this. Well, two things is one, him and Josh Allen for sure have beef and whatever that drama was in the off season that kind of got thrown under the rug. It was like, Hey, no big deal. Um, you know, we hashed it out. We had some issues, but you know, we're going to play football together and be good. That is starting to come to fruition now. And it's starting to show itself as this was an actual problem that has probably been dating back to, like you said, about two or three years. But the other thing with digs with your Cowboys comment is the grass isn't always greener. You know, look at some of the superstars that have left teams and gone to other places. You can start with our guy, Devontae Adams, right? Had a great year last year, but the grass isn't greener year two in Vegas. Look at a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, right? Wanted out of Arizona. Shit wasn't going well. Goes to Tennessee. I love D-Hop, but hasn't been that fun for him to play receiver, right? And if he does, if Diggs does go to Dallas, like... Are you going to be cool with CD Lamb getting all the targets? Because I hate to break it to you, brother. CD Lamb's a better receiver, right? And, and also, CD Lamb is Dak's guy. So we have no idea how the financial ramifications would work if yeah. they even have the cap space to pull that off. Like off the top of my head, just out of pure assumption, I would assume that they don't, right? 
but you need to be uh. careful what you wish for. And just because you're having a hard time with Allen, what team are you going to go be the number one on with a high quality quarterback and put up the numbers you're trying to put on, put up and have a chance to win the Super Bowl? Like that stuff doesn't usually work out. Well, we have to really sit down and do this off air, but I'm going to throw something at you. I'm going to jump all the way end to the end of our um, pre-recording notes today. We've talked a lot this week about the Packers and, you know, the issues that the Packers have had and the young receiving core and, you know, all right, how do you oh bring boy. in oh a veteran? Boy. And I don't like oh saying boy. this, but oh you're not trading for Diggs for Minnesota, right? You're not trading interdivisional for Stefan Diggs. You're trading AFC. He's got a couple second round picks, You've got a couple third round picks. I think this would be an absolute home run for the Green Bay Packers to trade for <laughs> Stefan Diggs. You develop these young wide receivers. You give them somebody that is a proven route runner, creates separation, has been a veteran in this league. As you said, might be a top five wide receiver. The question mark is culture fit in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Can Stefan Diggs fall in line with what the culture expectation is? But Matt, this is out of Everything we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, this is a glaring solution to a problem on both sides. Yeah. And I don't know that there's a better option for both sides um, because the Packers are going to have money. Diggs has got, he's, he's a guy that's getting paid and the bills are going to need an asset. They're going to need a, a second round, a third rounds, you know, a good amount of assets to yeah. rebuild that roster with the contract that we've, we've talked about and notated so many times before. Yeah, I mean, if this does become a problem where it's like this fool is asking for his release or to be traded, uh, there are two more obvious teams to me than the Green Bay Packers, as much as our fandom would like them to go. Um, one would be our hated rivals in Chicago. Yep. Obvious choice. They have the draft capital to go ahead and trade for him. They have the cap space to go get him. No problem. Number two is the team that is shooting up the ranks in the team that everyone should be Houston. buying on with the youngest quarterback, Houston. Yep. Yeah. You pair him with Tank Dell, Nico Collins, throw digs in there for some veteran support. Uh, they got Dalton Schultz already. Like that, that could be a problem in a good way. Right. Um, but the team I see probably shooting their shot, if they're going to shoot this shot is Chicago, just because they have the draft capital to afford Stefan Diggs and give the bills an offer that they can't resist right now. We'll see how the season shakes up. If they do have the opportunity to do Harrison jr. And someone else, um, you know, it just kind of depends on what they want to go with here. Cause I still am a believer in DJ Moore. Um, just a bummer that fields has been out these past few weeks. So he's kind of slowed down a little bit, but I, I would say, I don't disagree with you on the Packers, but if I'm the bears, if I'm Houston, I am, monitoring this situation very very closely yeah and to play devil's advocate because i agree with your chicago take everything you said is absolutely what ran through my mind we have to let the season play out i think harrison and Moore are a better pairing physically totally. than Moore and Diggs. but if the bears win too many games you're not picking two you're not picking one two like everyone has you know hyped up and we've talked about so then, sure, you you kind of turn your sights on. We have all this money. We have all these assets to bring in digs. Secondly to that with Houston, because I would love for, for CJ Shroud to have that. I don't know that, again, from a culture fit, I'm bringing in this asshole. 
Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it done already. I'm second in the league in passing. I'm doing this with kids and Robert Woods. You know, I'm not bringing that yeah. cancer into my locker room. I already got my leader in the in my my quarterbacks. You know, housing all 52 of my starters at his house every night of the week, throwing movie night. Um, I'm not putting digs in that, but it's the NFL. That's usually what happens. Lastly, with that though, if I'm the Bills front office and I know that I have Josh Allen and I'm a playoff team. Do I really want Diggs to burn me in the playoffs? Uh, you know, because totally Houston, Houston could be going up against the Bills. Um, and that's that's why I said the Packers, because like there is an offshoot where I could see the Packers really being the the number one option here if everything falls correctly. Again, we gotta see how things play out. You know, I mean, just date back to last year when Texas when Texas when the Texans won the last game of the season. It was a foregone conclusion that they were gonna <laughs> yeah. get the number one pick. Um, how quickly things change. So it'll be interesting to monitor the dig situation. I will tell you as much as I don't want him to be a green Bay Packer, I think it would really solve a lot of our solutions and, um, it would be interesting. Yeah. Solve a lot of our problems, not our solutions. We need solutions, but you're right. You're tired. I got it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, I, uh, <laughs> it would be I, I think, I think it would be, I think it would be sick if he went to the Cowboys. But once again, these are, these are off season we run the numbers, talk cap space. Like we need to trade this guy, release this dude. But um, the Packers would be would be an interesting fit, to say the least. Um, moving on, we'll get into some recaps. Well, I, this isn't even really recaps; just more ways, more or less, some takeaways from this past weekend. And the first thing I thought was kind of jumped off the screen when we were looking at the games. We're like, oh, let's talk about this, let's do that, whatever it might be. Was that? We have two guys that I think you and I both kind of gave up on and already drew a conclusion about that I think are not only proving us, but a lot of people in the media wrong, except Colin Coward, of course. But um, and it's Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. What's really interesting about Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson is we were all wrong about them, but right about them at the same time. And that we all knew they're not top five quarterbacks anymore. But also where we were wrong is that we didn't see them reinvent their game to be game managers and winning quarterbacks still. They're relying on their run game. They're leaning on their good defense. And they're making the right plays and not turning the ball over to keep their teams in games. And now we're starting to see the wins pile up in Denver. We're starting to see Watson and Cleveland click, getting Joku going. Kareem Hunt going. Obviously, we lost Nick Chubb. And what I think I'm seeing out of these two guys is that they actually have the ability to lead their teams into a wild card spot. I don't know about a Super Bowl, but you know, a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about these teams potentially blowing it up and rebuilding, especially Denver. But they're really, really finding their identities as quarterbacks and as teams now. And Watch out the Broncos and Cleveland. They're, they're going to cause a lot of problems for teams here um, towards the latter half of the season. Yeah. And I think when you look at both quarterbacks, I think Deshaun still has something in him. We've talked about it throughout the year where there are glimpses of the former elite top five quarterback. Again, I don't think we can ever expect that he'll be that on a consistent basis. But I think when you're talking about in the playoffs, and having to make a play, make multiple plays, lead a comeback. I think I'm putting my money on Watson over Wilson. Yeah, but also totally. with that being said, I think what I've seen this year is that I trust Wilson to manage the game, the tempo, 
and put my team in a position to be one drive away or winning at the end of the game. And that's going to be interesting to watch the Broncos because I think they are now truly stuck in mediocrity. I say that because they don't have the playmakers that you require a game manager to be elevated by. Sutton isn't really that guy. Uh, you know, we talked about Judy a lot, complete letdown. And I don't think that's going to change. You see the flashes, can't stay healthy. Like there's just so much inconsistency there. And Javante Williams isn't a top two back in the NFL. He's very nice. So yes, they're winning games, but so are the Raiders. I, that's, and that's just my point. Totally. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. Kind of both teams stuck in this weird parallel, like opposite ways where like, hey, Broncos are trending up. Raiders are trending down. Well, hey, they're both in the same ballpark with records. But Cleveland without having Deshaun, I think it was in three games this year where he's either been out or left the game. I think they'd have a much better record had they have had a healthy Watson all year. And that shoulder is still going to be a problem. So I don't think their record necessarily reflects their ability. And when you're talking about a team in the playoffs that could really upset or disappoint an opposing fan base, I think the Browns are absolutely that target. And I think if he can continue to develop and kind of tap back into his playmaking ability, um, his his ability to improvise, I could see him winning two playoff games. I really could. It's just also, does he have the weapons on the offensive side of the ball, right? Amari Cooper is nice and Njoku is nice, but like, they may not be enough for where Deshaun's at in his career. And again, question marks, right? Like a lot of money tied up in that defense, a lot of money tied up in Watson. It's not like Diggs is walking through those doors next year. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. both of these teams have to figure out what their identity over the next three, four years of the, these, these contracts are because both players are signed and both players required high draft pick assets to acquire. You, you got to make it happen for your team. For sure. And, and the problem is those defenses will begin to start you know to, to start dismantling right and people will leave get paid some more they still yeah. have good guys on rookie contracts uh obviously cleveland has darius smith and miles garrett playing fantastic on that defensive line but yeah it's just really interesting man like i i loved what i saw from wilson on monday night i watched the whole ravens game this past weekend Watson had the pick six early, but I thought it was a better play from Kyle Hamilton than like a terrible mistake. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What an awesome, awesome player. Yeah. I just, oh yeah. Like he fell in the draft, had a terrible 40 time. Everyone's shitting on him. Even, you know, dating back to last year, we were kind of questioning, you know, is is he going to be a a bust? Dude's a stud. Yeah. Um, maybe not the traditional stud that you think of from, from that position, but whoa, that play, he looked like a yeah. giant. It yeah. was incredible. Yeah. It's funny him and the kid for, um, for Cleveland that both came out of Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they both were really, really high going into the draft. Didn't test well, fell in the draft, had a lot of shit talked on both of them and both of them have made massive impacts on their team in our like you know, borderline pro bowl players. Also, as we talk about all the time in our roster construction tangents here are like, you know, they fell into a great system too. Right? Yeah. It's a lot yeah. nicer for Kyle Hamilton to sit there and be surrounded by a group of veteran DBs and John Harbaugh. Right. And two of the it's, best middle linebackers in the game. <laughs> exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that stuff really, really helps your development and confidence, you know? But I agree. That play was great. And like I said, I, I don't really put that on Watson, but Watson was able, I think they had a, before their pick six, I want to say they had like a 
eight to maybe 11 minute drive down the field to waste the clock, go down a touchdown. Lamar and the guys are sitting on the sideline. Lamar throws that interception off the dude's helmet, pick six. Next thing you know, next thing you know, you win the game. Like that's football. You know what I mean? Like all, all you need to do is stay alive and be a game manager. And like I was saying with Russ Wilson, man, like, I even tweeted it out. Everything he was doing last night was perfect for what they asked him to do. He didn't fuck anything up. And that touchdown that he threw to Sutton was ridiculous. Like that throw was crazy good. I know it was kind of a lucky play, but the fact that he even got that ball there, like that won them the game. So um, really, really interested to see where, where they end up and what they do over these next two years, because you're right. They are going to sit in the, teens in the draft if not early 20s and that's really not gonna make a massive impact on their team it's really gonna be who do they trade judy for what are they gonna get these different um value for some of these players as they leave well and i think the last thing the last takeaway i have now that we've had time to reflect and you know i've I've not been a russell wilson supporter for a number of years now yeah i'm not changing that I, i appreciate what he is and i think this is kind of actually the version that I thought the Broncos were probably acquiring last year, which is a good quarterback, not worth what at the time what they gave up, but a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I gave him enough credit for what he was also going through. Now that we know that Nathaniel Hackett, for the <laughs> most part, is awful at calling plays. Um, and again, date that back to Green Bay, where he wasn't even calling plays as the offensive coordinator. Anyways, you know, come into this season, you have a complete regime change. You have a head coach which is handling things differently, has taken away your office in the building and put his foot down as the alpha in the organization. And we start to see right off the bat again this year, like a couple of weeks, week one, week two, and it's like, oh, Russ is still Russ. Like everything's the same. And it's like, well, no, like he's now reacclimating to his third system in three years, going from Pete Carroll in Seattle to uh, Nathaniel Hackett and now Sean Payton. And I think I texted you either last week or the week before, and I was like, hey, they're, they're really starting to figure it out. Like they're buying into the system. It takes some time to lay groundwork. It takes some time to see what happens. And we saw that with the, hey, everybody's available. That sent a message to the locker room and they rallied around that. That set the foundation. It could have easily gone the opposite way and everybody's traded, but I think they finally at least have the traction of what Sean Payton was looking for, which is, okay, I know how I'm going to build this organization now. And it's with Russell fine tuning, being more of that game manager and maybe at times letting him play like he used to, you know, like Mm -hmm. really finding the opportunity for him to tap into some of that playmaker ability, even though he's older than Watson. And that will be really interesting because if he can still do that over the next three years, maybe they are and do become something in that, uh, in that Western conference, like the chiefs, we see weakness, the chargers are charging. The Raiders are an absolute shambles, you know, like there's opportunity, which we would not have said a year ago. Yeah. The West is more open than I think we, we all thought coming into this season, definitely coming into last season. Um, okay. Moving on. This is out of all the notes that I have and stuff we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I would, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say this is my definite knee jerk reaction from this past week in the NFL. And it's that the Vikings need to go all in on Josh Dobbs fully commit to him as their quarterback of the future. So maybe the next two to three years bid adieu to Kirk cousins, who I personally am a fan of and see what you can do with this kid at quarterback, because I think he's the perfect fit for Minnesota. 
he's playing good enough ball to be a starting quarterback in this league. And ultimately he's going to be a cheaper contract than Kirk cousins so that you can re-sign Justin Jefferson, make sure Addison will be here long-term and bring in more assets to help that team. And I think with their coach, they can really make moves with Dobbs and it's time for them to move on from cousins. And they actually made the perfect trade at the deadline, even though we were kind of making fun of it. Well, well, and I think, well, I think the biggest storyline for me in the Dobbs saga now is Kevin O'Connell has absolutely solidified yeah. himself as a top 10 NFL coach. He is doing and winning games with Minnesota with a roster that is far, 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 far less talented than Green Bay. And Matt LaFleur is not able to do that with a very good defense. And I'm very impressed with O'Connell's play calling with his ability to have temperament um, through his play calling for him to really be a leader on that sideline and have confidence in his players to draw on that confidence. All things that we need to see from young head coaches and all things we do not see in Green Bay. Uh, so very happy for them in that, that facet, but everything else they have to figure out still. Like they're winning games and that is not helping their future. And <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but your, your number one building piece is a wide receiver. Your number two building piece is also a wide receiver, probably in Addison. So they're going to really have to reconstruct this team and, and start to build the defense and, and hopefully re-sign Hunter since he wasn't traded because that is a big piece as well. I would, he's probably mm -hmm. their number two to Jefferson in reality. Um, so I think Dobbs is absolutely the route they should go. You need to start to be able to bring in volume players through free agency with the hope that you can hit on a few of them as opposed to bring back Cousins, sign a guy or two. You know, and I think back to the Patrick Peterson signing, that's the kind of things they've been doing over the last five years because they've been cap strapped. Yeah. And those those don't set a foundation for your team. You know, it's being able to bring in the Smith brothers like the Packers did or make a couple really big moves on guys that are early to mid twenties that are, are in their first real deal where they can come out and prove themselves for that next contract. And I think Dobbs is, is the way to get to that. Um, and that then leads the door open to where cousins goes and has an opportunity, which I think is also very exciting. And I think you do too. Yeah, no, I do. And, and before we get to Kirk, I, um, I still think like now with what we've, I totally agree with you on O'Connell, like what we've seen with him and his ability to call plays, manage the team, lead those, lead the Vikings, they're in great hands. And I do think they do have a nice nucleus on offense, right? Their line has gotten better. I love Hawkinson. Obviously, I love Jordan Addison. We were super high on him coming into the draft. Um, they need a running game, right? Alexander Madison is not the answer. But I think they have, they're a little bit closer than I think you're giving them credit for offensively, right? It's on the defensive end where they still need to shore up some things, re-sign Hunter, maybe get another piece or two. But they are, they're in a better spot, in my opinion, than the Packers are in the next couple of years here, right? And it's because I think they have the better head coach and we'll get to Cousins and some potential places that we think that he might make an impact on, but He's what, 36, coming off an Achilles now, 35. And Josh Dobbs, for him as a human and as a professional athlete, like I genuinely think now after his stint in Tennessee, the early success and struggles in Arizona, that it's time for him to actually 
have a team to call his and get a starting opportunity in the NFL because he's probably about 15, 16, right? Like I think he's better than the bottom half of the league at this point from what he's shown. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go 15, 16. I think the uh, the it was either the Athletic, Bleacher Report, or ESPN, whatever. There's just so many of them now. Yeah. I had a great uh, comment this week from either it was a scout or a coach or whatever about him being an elite level two backup, right? Which is I think is true because the hard thing is he's I think he's 28 or 29. So like, you know, none of these teams are like, oh, he maybe he can be the quarterback of our future five to 10 years, right? You said it perfectly, like two to three years is really the window you're looking at. Kind of that Geno Smith role. Exactly. And I don't think he has a, as much helium yet, but he's going to have the opportunity <laughs> to have the same, like right? That. Like it, it, we got a lot of football left. At the end of this year, we could be talking about him as Geno 2.0, really. And yeah, look how it's worked in Seattle. You know, like that kind of leads right into the next segment a little bit, but it, you can build around that. Then you can build the foundation and then really look at yourself and say, okay, is this quarterback the guy to win a Super Bowl for us? And I think it all goes back to the head coach. And, um, and I think we'll touch on this down the road when we talk about Packers at the end today, but I, the only way I see that turning out differently from your take, which is O'Connell is the better coach is if LaFleur can implement his system that would change everything but the question is does he get fired before we see the fruits of that labor of, of everything he's been laying down yeah um and to talk about kirk cousins here so say this happens right and they say hey kirk thank you good luck we'll make sure that you rehab get whatever you need but we're gonna move move forward with dobbs what team or teams do you think he could make an immediate impact on next season? I would love to see him in Seattle. And I know that sounds crazy because Gino's there and there's a contract, but kind of just into the conversation we were having about, will this quarterback win a Super Bowl for us? I don't think Gino's the guy to do that. I think Kirk, with everything around him in Seattle, that defense, that running game, those wide receivers, an offensive line that's been built up, steps into a perfect situation to be the game manager that he's been maybe the best game manager in the NFL over the last five or six years. When you think about that actual title we've given quarterbacks in that Seattle system, I think absolutely can win a Super Bowl for Seattle. I don't know that Gino's the guy. I don't know if the money will work, but I would love to see Kirk in Seattle. It's really the only team that comes to mind. Yeah, for me, the only team that came to mind, I did not have Seattle on my list. I get your reasoning. I don't think it's realistic. I think the most realistic team that he could actually make an impact on to win a division and make a run is in your hometown of Las Vegas. I think he would be the perfect fit for the Raiders. I don't know culturally about how he would fit in, but I think as far as the quarterback is concerned, he would be by far the best option they have in there. I like Aiden O'Connell. I think he's a good player. We'll see how he plays the rest of the season, but I think Cousins comes in there and automatically elevates the game of that team, that offense, Jacobs, Adams, Jacoby Myers, Michael Meyer, and could take them to, you know, the second best team in that division and, you know, potentially even win that division because let's not forget, the Vikings were the team, the other team winning those division titles those years that the Packers weren't when they had Aaron Rodgers. It wasn't anyone else in that division. And it was solely, yeah, not solely, but a big reason, 
was because of Kirk Cousins. And I think he'd be a great fit there. He's coming off an Achilles, though, so you don't know. But the options are a little bit more slim than you and I thought when we were doing this segment. Well, and I mean, the other team that immediately comes to mind um, won't happen because I know for a fact because of money. And it's ironically the Saints, right? You have the weaker version of him and Derek Carr already signed. And that kind of goes to, well, the Buccaneers could kick them around if they don't like Baker. But Baker's doing a pretty good job and like they're not in a position to go after a Super Bowl. They're kind of floundering um, and kind of too expected after Brady left. You have the Giants where say they don't land the first, third or fourth pick, which at this point seems absolutely like a lock. Holy cow, are they awful? (laughs) Um, You know, and then if say they win a couple games, is it like, well, hell, we can cut Danny loose. He's got the ACL anyways, like might as well bring in Kirk because other than that, it's some D2 quarterback. So I I think there are other options. It's just like to your point of ring chasing and Kirk, I think he's going to be I think he will be willing to take a pay cut and go somewhere. totally that's we've seen it with his family mentality we've seen it with his moral mentality and that's kind of why when we were talking before we jumped on tonight i just i can't see vegas because it, it is literally sin city <laughs> if you watch netflix you know he's a very religious man and i know that sin city is a joke title but it's real i live here it is a very very sinful city it's a it's 24 7 operating um and the culture that vegas has built with football coming from oakland has stuck with it with which is kind of that gangster mentality and i think kirk is not a good fit for that and we even see it with the social media posts in the jokes of the chains and him on the plane like it's just not that guy but if you can get past that he would be an awesome fit for the city he'd be an awesome transitional piece he would be what jimmy was supposed to be and these time will tell yeah yeah time will tell for sure um you had mentioned the giants and draft picks um another team we thought was kind of a lock for a top three draft pick was in arizona and what i saw this week after it was just one game it was just one game but i loved what i saw out of kyler murray and i'm not even a huge kyler murray fan but i loved the confidence that he was playing with the decision making and most importantly what he was doing with his legs out there the, the scramble that he had to basically win the team the game late in the game on fourth down was everything I needed to see if I'm the Cardinals, if I'm a Cardinals fan, or if for some reason they're looking to move on from him. So a prospective trade partner that Kyler's going to be fine. He's back. He's still an elite talent in the NFL, and I want him quarterbacking my team. And considering he's quarterbacking the Arizona Cardinals for the rest of the season, They will not have a top five pick. They're going to win another two games probably with him at quarterback. And now it's changed the trajectory of where this team will be next year and what their strategy is going to be going into this offseason. So my question for you, Matt, is A, how did you feel about Kyler? What was your initial gut reaction seeing him out there on Sunday? And B, if you're the Cardinals, you've got a big decision to make. And what would you do? Yeah, and I was kind of bummed, honestly, because I I don't dislike or like Kyler. And I was bummed because this puts the Arizona Cardinals in a really hard position. If he came out and looked terrible, it was like, okay, we'll give him the rest of the year because he's coming off an ACL. And it would have been like, okay, Kyler's not the guy. Let's move on. 
but I still think that's the end solution to this. You're in a division with the Niners and the Seahawks, and you set it a couple of your window. Let's throw that out the window. It's a five, six, seven-year window that these two teams are going to be better than the Cardinals. Cardinals have no foundation whatsoever outside of Kyler Murray, who just came back from an ACL. And it's going to take years to rebuild this and to do it properly. They're going to have to hit on draft picks. They're going to have to do a really good job with player development. They're going to have to go out and get free agents just to even be close to where the Seahawks are, let alone where the 49ers currently are. So back to the solution. I think the solution is you trade Kyler Murray to Las Vegas. I think that's the that is the obvious deal for both teams. Kyler fits the culture here in Vegas. He fits the look figure out how to make the money work again, back to the books and, you know, start to the rebuilding process and really find in like uh, hone in on the details, like get that offensive line, right? Finally, it has been bad since Kurt Warner was there. Go out and get a wide receiver that you can develop yourself. That's not five, eight. And as a slot receiver, <laughs> and if it's really start to develop. And, and I, I look back on some of their picks too, like that Simmons pick, was supposed to be a really game-changing player for them, and he just didn't turn out how I thought he would. Um, and that's a big bust. I think he was seventh overall or fifth overall. You know, you miss on a guy like that, it does change the entire course of the organization, as well as having your quarterback go down with an ACL and Hopkins being a little bit older. Everything just didn't work in their favor, but they have an opportunity to reset. And I would really encourage them to hit that button. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you too. They're just too far away, too many pieces away, and contractually now obligated to their quarterback, right? Where you don't have the flexibility like you do in Houston, like you do in Chicago, like you do in Tennessee and some of these other places where you have. And I mean, you and I are still the jury's out on Levis for both of us, right? But you're so locked in that I agree with you. Find a team to trade them to, whether it is. Vegas, which I think would be a really good fit as well, whether it's the Saints, the Titans, the Bucks, maybe the Commanders, you know, like th there's teams out there that would that would buy on Kyler Murray. And, and if I'm one of those teams, like I, I'd make the phone call 100 percent. Right. If I'm even shit, the Patriots, like I'm making the phone call. Right. So um, I, I think I think the move for Arizona would be to dish him to start over because I think you hit the nail on the head. There's still five years, three years, best case scenario from sort of competing with yep. San Francisco and Seattle. Sort and, of. And everything working <laughs> properly. Everything. Right. Like yep. everything has to fall into place. And by that time, Buda Baker is going to be out of his prime, who's their best defensive player. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. Speaking of windows. This is my last. I don't even know. I don't know if this is a hot take, but this is probably knee jerk reaction number two for me. But I feel like I've been sort of, I've been sort of on this all season. Is your Detroit Lions? Um, they were in L.A. this past weekend. Monty was back. Amon Ross St. Brown was back in SoCal. You know, of course, you went to Modern Day High Classic. The boys. This is it. This is it. I, I've said it, and I. We're clipping it. The Lions have to go to the Super Bowl this year. I think this is their best chance they're going to have with this group because they're going to have to decide if they want to re-sign Goff, extend him, 
Amon Ra is going to have to get paid. Hutchinson will eventually have to get paid. The books will start to get full. And I just don't think they're going to have this much talent on the roster clicking the way that it is. Now I shouldn't say ever again, but the time is now. I don't know how the hell they beat Philly. I don't know how the hell they beat San Francisco, but they have to do it this year. This is the year for Detroit. They should run away with the rest of their schedule, put themselves in a great position seating wise. And like, I really genuinely think this has to be the year for the lions and I'm all in on it, to be honest with you. I, I am on the hype train for Detroit. So I I disagree with you, but I agree with you. I think within every oh, yeah. organization, it has to be this year. You can't even think about, well, you know, we got all these guys one more year next year. You know, because Amonrod, this is year three, if I'm correct. So year four next year would be the end of his rookie deal. Penny Sewell as well, a name you did not mention. Hutchinson, right? I think you got a couple more years on those those deals because they were first rounders. Um, but the money the money clock is ticking. To your point, you're gonna have to start paying people, and you're gonna start losing some people. But if I am correct, they have 2024 season to make that final real run sure. before everybody gets paid. And as I've talked to you before, Eagles losing probably two of their offensive linemen in Johnson and Kelsey. I would assume, if not both, one of them. Uh, massive. It's going to completely change that team. Not going to set them back a whole lot, but it will It will be a point of weakness um, that they will have to figure out. And I do think they will because their, their GM is unbelievable, but more weakness than we're looking at currently. And then the 49ers we've spoke on, they are going to be in dire straits financially, and they're going to have to lose <laughs> one or two players, presumably. And if not, Good God, whoever's cooking their books, um, you know, just give them executive of the year automatically. <laughs> it's just unfair at this point. So I I think they I think they can continue to build as they did last year. I mean, you gotta think this was a team last year that built momentum starting probably this week last year and really rolled that into um into what we are now seeing, which is success and momentum as well as fluidity within that offense. And the defense is really starting to kind of figure things out, even though they gave up 40 points to the Chargers. Uh, that, that is still the weakness, secondary, good Lord. Um, but again, the, like from a team perspective, you cannot be thinking to yourselves, well, we've got a window. Well, we're young. You know, it, it, we've got a three, four, five year window in the NFC North. Like the Packers are in shambles. The Vikings are in shambles. The Bears are in shambles. None of that matters. Because we saw that. We lived that as Packer fans. And if you don't capitalize now, you may never have a shot, as you mentioned, our take with the Diamondbacks. So I really hope that locker room has the same mentality that you've just preached because they have the opportunity to have momentum play in their side. You know, and I think about that that toe on the line for Kevin Durant's shot against the Bucks. I think about the hardened hamstring and the Kyrie ankle. Like, yeah, I, we don't know how they're going to beat the Eagles or the 49ers. But we haven't gotten to that game yet. Purdy goes down, what, two, three plays into that game? You know, like things change drastically. And you just have to, as a, as a team, have the mindset that you are going for a championship. There is no, it's okay, there's next year. Yeah, totally. And I mean, they have, and the reason I 
like so gung ho about this outside of the contract is they're seven and two and I'm looking at their schedule right now and they there's no reason they shouldn't be the number one seed, bro. The Eagles are seven and two as well. They got to play Kansas City. They got to play the Dallas still. They've, they've got like one of the hardest schedules remaining in the NFL. The Lions got the Bears, the Packers, the Saints, the Bears, the Broncos, the Vikings, the Cowboys, and then the Vikings. Out of all those games, they will be favorited, except for probably when they go into Dallas, which they still might be a one-point favorite in that game on New Year's Eve, day before New Year's Eve. The time is now. If they get that one seed and they bring that first home playoff game to Detroit since probably before you and I were born, bro, like this is it for them. And and I and I'm holding them to this expectation. Like I think this is their time. And just imagine, imagine the number one seed, the story if Jared Goff and the Lions could do this. Like I can already see it. It'll it'll go down as one of the one of the best stories in NFL history, hundred percent. Well, my only issue with the schedule that you laid out is that battle-tested concept that we've talked about. I think it was the Ravens just a few weeks ago. We were going through their schedule. And it's like you're going to go up against some of the worst teams in the NFL to finish your season. You know, like you're going to maybe get a bye. And then, heaven forbid, you know, the Chargers don't win their division. Or excuse me, the 49ers don't win their division. They're the wild card team and they march themselves into Detroit. Boom. It's like just an absolute sacrifice. The Lions <laughs> lose by 35 by halftime because, you know, you haven't faced a real opponent since Dallas and you had a bye week. Like that's, that's the, that's a narrative yeah. that could happen. It really is. And then everybody's like, whoa, well, we thought Detroit had the momentum. So let's look at both sides here. Right. Yeah. And, I'm I need to see that game against Dallas. I need to see the intensity. I need to see where they're at because we kind of know where Dallas is at. And after giving up so many points to the Chargers, it's like, okay, we know they can score. But again, the Eagles are going to be the team that really put them against the the back burner because they have the offense. And then it back right back to the 49ers, right? The 49ers have an efficient offense, an efficient offense against a subpar slash, you know, weak secondary. Purdy could just have his way with the clock in that game. Yeah. Um, I, Bro, I, will, Matt, I will go back. Jamison is the absolute key to all of this. Yeah, it is Jamison Williams. If he can come and be the guy they drafted him to be, I'm in on a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, if they can unlock him, I agree. But it's too, I'm curious your thoughts on this. So you're like, ah, they're not going to be battle-tested, which I don't disagree with. In, I like battle-tested. We talked about the Ravens a week or two ago, whatever it is. This is the flip side, the Eagles. I was wrong. The Eagles only have one loss. They're eight and one. They've got the Chiefs on Monday night. They got the Bills at home, the Niners at home, in Dallas, on the road in Seattle. And then they get the Giants, Cardinals, Giants to end the season. But those next one, two, three, four, five games are gnarly. Um, if they come out of that nine and two, if they come out of that with only one loss, still that'd be eight, nine, or that'd be nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 and one, they're winning the Super Bowl <laughs> if they don't get injured because there's no way they don't lose at least one of those games, man. Like, well, and, but they're already battle tested. And that's, sure. that's the irony, right? Like, I, I would be okay that's if true. the Eagles had the Lions schedule. 
I would be more comfortable with the the uh, the the Lions in the playoffs if they had the Eagles schedule because at least they had built themselves into something. They would have known sure. that when their backs are against the wall, they can respond as opposed to like we just said, they're all in there in their first playoff game and after a bye week at home and you're facing the 49ers who are also battle tested and are about to like destroy you with two of the greatest pass rushers on the same team maybe ever. Um It'll be really interesting to see how the storyline plays out. I think the the draft pick of Gibbs could play massive in the playoffs. Um, but again, yeah. dude, they they He's need they need that third level. If they don't get that third level, it doesn't matter. And I saw a, to kind of finish off of the Lions. I saw a great um, comment this past week. It was from Amon Ra, and he was talking about how you know he was so proud of Williams because Williams was there on the lead block for him down the field yet again and it's like okay well he may not be stretching the field and making these really big plays like we expected him to be you know a top 10 wide receiver year 2 or year 3 he's his teammates have his back and like that's a part of development and he's still very very young we talked about that i think just last week or over on the phone and um he, but again you pick a guy like that you expect him to take that third level off the top for you and that's how you're going to beat these teams. You're going to beat them by putting up 40 points. Like that's got to be the game plan. And, and I yeah. think they can do it, but chargers charger. So let's see what happens yeah. in Dallas. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Um, for everyone listening, this is Packer time now. So if you want to turn us off till next week, it's fine. <laughs> Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Um, you mentioned, the Jameson Williams comment that his teammates have his back and he's a young guy. I think the Packers have Christian Watson's back, but Lord have mercy, have the fans turned on him heavy. Um, if you're still here listening to this podcast, Packer talk, if you remember Matt and I do a draft series every year, we go through the top 10 at each position. We did grade Christian Watson as the worst top receiver in that class that year now that might not be right but all of our fears of christian watson are showing themselves here in year two we're both not ready to give up on christian yet or the packers in general just moving forward but i will let you start off packer talk today matt with the state of green bay after the loss to pittsburgh over this weekend where are you at with Christian, if you want to start there, but just with the overall development of the team, nine games in. Well, yeah. First, I just want to say if uh, if we don't get a phone call from Goot come April, uh, I'm gonna be pretty upset. You know, uh, we are now the resident <laughs> scouts for the NFL, and we can watch two or three games and and tell you exactly what's wrong with your play and your production on the field. Well um, said. But in all seriousness, you said it right. Like. Watson was pretty obvious in college where his weaknesses were and Aaron Rodgers masked those problems. And now we, here we are same thing. We said with William, uh, Jameson, Jameson Williams, like same thing for Christian Watson, like young player and Williams played in a really big conference. That was the conversation you and I had this week was Watson did not in college, which kind of puts him back on the developmental train where we see Jalen Reed really accelerating because he came from a bigger conference. So I'm pumping the brakes. I am not gonna I'm not gonna jump off the Watson train until I start to see either personality defects um or we just see a player that cannot figure it out. And last thing on Watson, I had said this to you off air this week. I said, 
going into this off season, he really needs to commit to, to building up his body. His body type cannot last in the NFL based off the role that he's playing. He's playing a gunner role as a wide receiver. And it, it's just, it's, it's not what he, it's not what he can be. Um, not in this offense. And I'd like to see him, I'd like to see him bulk up. Um, but I think we're trending in the right direction as the Green Bay Packers. I think we are slowly starting to see this system play itself out. I think allowing Jordan to throw the ball more, really start to figure out his touch. Where is he in a game? I think that's exactly what this team needs as the season continues because that's been the takeaway all year. Jordan doesn't understand the touch of the ball yet in game. You know, we've talked a lot about him underthrowing passes. We've talked a lot about him, you know, overshooting a receiver or not leading a receiver. Throwing the ball 40 times a game is going to allow him to really have that feel when he needs to make big throws, when games are actually important and our playoff opportunity is on the line. So I, I really give LaFleur a lot of credit for that. Um, and the last takeaway I have, and I said this to you too on the phone this week, was I think we're starting to see each individual player fine-tuned. Uh, we're, we saw that this week with Love, with the you know the great opportunity he had with the the passing attempts. You know, we're seeing Reed really be elevated in the in the passing game where he's being given opportunities to show as a number one or an elite level slot as a playmaker. Wicks is getting involved. Musgrove starting to kind of figure it out and get a little bit of a volume share. Now it's time to fine tune Christian Watson. If we can tune him right, I think this offense come week 14, 15, 16, and as I had said earlier in the year, will really start to show us some uh, some hope for next year and get us really excited. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think everything that you said was spot on. And <clears throat> to build on your comments is that we are seeing development. We are seeing the things that we wanted from Jordan. As I'm freaking out two and a half, three weeks ago, um, we are seeing the deep ball. I, the, the touchdown pass to Reed is exactly what I need to see from him. He's missing that throw all year before last week. And yeah, it was a little short. You were like, oh, I kind of wish he put it in front of him a little more. I don't care. He hit him on the money. It was a touchdown before that. It's either a PI or it's getting picked off. So we're seeing that development from him. We're seeing him hit Musgrave up the seam, which he's missed straight up 10 times this year already. Boom. We're seeing that. Like you said, we're just not seeing Christian Watson, which is frustrating, right? But maybe it's also going back to how the coach uses him. Get him on a wide receiver screen. Get him on a reverse. It's just like I, I'm a basketball guy, right? Sometimes when you're in a shunt, uh, slump, a slump from the three-point line or you're not feeling your shot, get a layup. Go to the foul line. See the ball go in the net. I think that's the same in all sports, right? Whether it's baseball, basketball, football, golf, tennis, whatever it is, see that putt go in. Get on base. Take a walk. Whatever it is, right? Like just... Get your confidence, get the juices up a little bit. And I think that's what the Packers need to do with Watson to really see if he can go get those jump balls, see how he goes on those deep routes, like get him some touches early and often to give him some confidence to build on throughout the game is I think my biggest takeaway with Watson moving forward. The second thing is that the Packers have now hit a threshold. If we go back the past few weeks of just not figuring out how to win. And that's what happens when you have a median age of what, 26, 27 for the Packers is these guys aren't winners. None of them are. None of them have won in the pros. But we, the game you and I went to in Vegas, had the ball with an opportunity with the game on the line. The game you were at in Denver had the ball with an opportunity with the game on the line. 
today or last week in Pittsburgh had the ball with an opportunity with the game on the line. And you saw really, really good things from Jordan. And then you ended up seeing him throw an interception and they lose the game, right? Do we see him make that play? Right. Do we see the team finally make winning plays together? Ring off a couple at the end of this season to your point of saying, oh, wow, now we have some momentum going into the next year where we are winners. We know how to battle through adversity and come out on top at the end of these games. And I think that's if you're a Packer fan, it's going to suck for our draft capital but you're going to have to weigh the pros and cons of things, right? You talked about the lines in our last segment. It was right about this time last year where they got hot and we're like, Oh shit, look at the lions. They're a good team. I think we have the opportunity as Packer fans and the Packers have that opportunity to show us that or not. And I think that's the most exciting, but scary part of the end of this season. Yeah, and I think you look, let's just break down those games. Raiders game, right? Here in Vegas, lost. Uh, Watson didn't fight for the ball. And I had said to you then it should have been Dobbs on that route. I think Dobbs at least puts up a fight, maybe catches it. Maybe the entire season's different if he's throwing a Dobbs there because we've seen Dobbs make that play this season on the opposite side of the end zone and comes down with it. And okay, there's one knock, right? That's where some of this fan irritation is coming with Watson. That was kind of the starting point too for a lot of people where it was you know, frustrating. And then you move on to the next week in Denver. Well, wasn't really given a shot. Uh, he forced a ball to Romeo, missed Reed over the middle, but by the time Reed broke open, he had no choice but to throw the ball. Okay, not really his fault. The INT still two weeks in a row. Then you look at the Steelers. We talked about it. Absolutely despise the play call. Um, don't really know what the plan was there. Like you had a full man set zone in the end zone. And you throw it to the end zone. Like he had no other options. So I look at all three of those interceptions as kind of who gives a shit. Like <laughs> to me, it doesn't mean anything about Jordan. Um, yes, the Vegas one, I would have liked to see a different ball thrown. You got one shot to throw that ball in the game. Like it's either good or it's bad. It just happened to be a bad ball. Okay, like work on that, right? As you talked about, really nice pass touchdown to uh, Reed this week. And I think it's funny because that's the key. He threw it to Reed. He's been throwing those balls to Romeo and he's been throwing those balls to Watson, especially Watson more of late. And I would be really curious to see if we could put an overlay of what the route was supposed to be ran and what Christian's actually running. And I would say that for all three of our young receivers, because I'm, I bet you, if you have blue lines and yellow lines, they're not even probably remotely close at times to on par with what their route was supposed to be. And I'm interested to watch the rest of the season within the development with Reed to start to see if he really becomes Jordan's number one target. Because again, back to the schools in college, Reed was in a big conference, learned to run routes, had graded out really high in on the on the line and on the ball separation, all things that Watson does not do very well. So naturally, when you talk about Jordan's best throw, especially down the field this year, going to J uh, Jalen Reed, like it makes sense. He is the more fine uh, tuned and polished player. And I'm just concerned that if he becomes the number one, do we see Watson ever develop? You know, do, yeah. or does he end up just being that low confidence guy that we saw after the drop from Aaron Rodgers week one last season. Yeah. And, and that's the fear, right? Like I think we all want him to be 
a wide receiver one, right? Like that was the expectation coming into the season off of the great end of the year that he had last year. And that, and that's the fear. And that's just, that's the fan in us. That's like, ah, shit, this guy sucks. And that's you and I being super critical that he had a, I think it was a 17% drop rate in college and everyone else who was touted in that top 10 of that draft class, like the next highest was like seven or 8%. So he was almost double everyone else. Right. Um, it also doesn't help when your family members similar to Stefan Diggs are online shitting on the quarterback and on fans. Right. So we'll see, man. I, I have this really weird optimism that we go on a lion's run at the end of the season with our lighter schedule. And I think it starts against this bad chargers defense. I, I think my next challenge for Jordan love, like he's listening to our podcast, of course, right. He is, is, he is. that I want to see him make the easy throws better, you know, and I know that sounds lame and kind of cliche, but okay, we've got the deep ball. We've got the seam route. Let's get those balls on first down, second down, the screen plays. Let's get these little things going to sustain drives and assert some dominance on people because they should have beat the Steelers this past weekend. They had every single opportunity to do it. We're just not quite there yet. So I want to see him start making the easier throws, bump that completion percentage up, and uh, from the floor, get Wicks in the game. Keep getting that kid in the game. You know, you know, Matt, if Matt Flynn can throw for 500 yards, I have faith that give Jordan a little time, let these guys develop, he'll be a good quarterback. And I say that jokingly, of course, because Matt Flynn never did anything else with his career other than absolutely dominating the Lions that one game. That one day, that one time. Um, <laughs> but it was also because he had a lot of weapons around him. And it, it's just a point that, we don't often think about the quarterback's performance in the moment with the weapons they have around them. And that's the same conversation that we kind of started things off today with Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Deshaun doesn't really count. Amari Cooper's awesome. Yeah. Um, but Russell doesn't have that many weapons either. We thought he did. He doesn't. So I, I think we need to watch those weapons really start to develop them themselves in green Bay. And, lean on uh, Murphy's comments this week where he had said, you know, it's really hard to evaluate Jordan. I don't think it's fair to evaluate Jordan with everything else with this offense, the way it is, you know, that's a mixture of what he had said. Um, but I think like you said, this will be a really good week to start to see, Hey, are we still moving forward? I just don't want to see this team move backwards now. Yep. You know, like let's not take any more steps back. We're pushing forward. If we even plateau, I understand because then we can identify why did we plateau. But if you take a step back and then take a couple steps forward and then take two steps back, we're really going to go into the offseason having absolutely no idea what direction to go. Totally. Totally. And the direction you need to go is to sleep. Yes. We're going to conclude. <laughs> we're going to conclude the podcast today. We appreciate all of you guys. Go Packers. Matt, good luck out there with F1. Be safe. Make sure you're going the speed limit when you're on the road. Oh, yeah, and, dude. The cops uh, were out in flux today. They are uh, they are looking for you California drivers. I bet everyone is trying to street race out there. So <laughs> don't fuck around. In our Toyota um, Camrys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> um, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at PitcherBetPod. I'm Matt. That's Matt. Later, guys.